investments and income taxes and estate planning and healthcare, they all intertwine to make one holistic plan. And when you have all those different variables, it's it's like a DNA strand, right? You're not going to get all of those things to exactly line up, not even with your siblings or best friends. So everyone's different. This is the Retire Happy Podcast with John Amarino, teaching you each episode about holistic retirement plans. Welcome once again to the Retire Happy Podcast with San Diego's premier holistic retirement advisor, John Amarino. I'm Walter Storholt alongside John, your fiduciary financial advisor at Securus Financial, serving you throughout the San Diego area with an office on Trina Street. And you can find us online by going to gosecurus.com. John, it is great to be with you. My friend, we did it. We made it through 2020 and we can now focus on 2021 and the future. 2021. Uh, uh, 2020. Hey, we never really did see the murder hornets, though, from 2020, did yeah, we? Yeah, that was supposed to be the big, uh, the big crazy thing of 2020, right? And then that got supplanted pretty quickly. Yeah, so... I still think uh, I still think the beginning of 2021 is going to be rough, but hopefully, uh, hopefully things will work out in the end, and and I'm looking for a bright future for 2021. So well, and uh, 2020, although it was kind of a, a crazy and wild year, John, it did come uh, with kind of an exciting ending, or at least 2021 is coming with an exciting beginning for you from a personal and uh, professional standpoint, right? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't exciting getting to the point, but uh, I, <laughs> I, I spent right after, right between uh, the New Year's and Christmas holidays, I, I sat for my RMA accreditation exam. So that's the retirement manager, management advisor exam, and uh, I passed the exam and I got accredited. So I'll have RMA after my uh, last name on my my uh, business cards there. But uh, yeah, it was. It was one, you know, I kind of took the whole 2020 COVID and took it in stride and said, you know, I can improve in some areas where we're not as busy as we are in past years. So kind of flipped the script and it was, it was a phenomenal program. I mean, some brilliant, brilliant people put together the program. I mean, you had PhDs and and uh, investment uh, analysts and, and then huge names like Michael Kitsis, um, you know, uh, given retirement lectures and teaching you how to put together a uh, you know a holistic plan and really the goal of the whole program is to have advisors that are specialists in the retirement industry and and creating you know custom retirement income plans that mitigate all the risks that clients you know will face in retirement so a lot of really good information I mean I felt good because I did do several of their techniques I have learned over the years um, just with my retirement uh, training experience, but uh, they definitely take it to a whole nother level of nuances. So I'm I'm excited to put that knowledge to uh, practical matter for my clients there in the future. Uh, that's fantastic. So again, it's a Retirement Management Advisor, or RMA, you might see appearing behind uh, John's name going forward. And one thing I liked reading about the um, you know the test that you took and the certification in this awesome program, John, that you dove into over the last couple of months to get uh, get ready for passing that test and getting the designation focused. One of the things that they highlight in the program is that you know their advisors are focused on outcomes, 
not expectations. And uh, I think that's great because I feel like you've always had that mentality. And now this designation just sort of, you know, seems like it was naturally fit for you. Yeah. And I mean, that's a powerful statement because it's so true. And and really, I mean, that's, that's like one of the core concepts that they start you right off and, and say, you know, the difference between an accumulation advisor and what you as a retirement advisor do, they're extraordinary. And you have to understand that your clients are going to have expectations on, you know, uh, their rates of return, what they expect to get in the stock market. And if you as an advisor are telling them, yeah, we can, we can get you those rates of return, you're already starting off on the wrong foot. And that's an accumulation mindset. And really that you need to replace expectations like rates of return, six, seven, eight percent rates of return with defined outcomes and probabilities with consequences. So, you know, the probability of you needing a long-term care event is going to be 70%. No, 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 no. Because they may be one of the three that don't need it, and they may be one of the seven. And really, what's the consequence? What's the outcome if you don't plan for it? Well, you're going to pay potentially anywhere from three hundred to $500,000 for it. So I really, really um, liked that outcome, that you're, not, you're, not, you're building the plan with a degree of certainty, right? No one can guarantee certainty. The plan will always be fluid and will always change. But, you know, you're really kind of removing that hope and prayer type of belief that a lot of people do have and giving them, hey, listen, yes, you can retire or no, you can't retire yet, but you can do these things to work it. And, you know, when the bad things happen and they're going to happen, we have a plan for it and we'll be able to monitor that plan. So yeah, that whole course is really, really designed around that one sentence. Well, congratulations on the achievement. And I know that, uh, you know, really the congratulations is to uh, to clients and folks that will be working with you in the future because uh, they'll get to benefit from now that additional education and resources that you've been able to tap into. So Great job uh, advancing your knowledge and commitment to the field. That's always wonderful to see. Again, it's the Retirement Management Advisor designation that uh, John has now added to the ledger. So way to go. We've got a great show on the way today, John. Uh, a couple of things that we're going to dive into on the program. Uh, we're going to have a little fun a little bit later when we get to the uh, getting to know you portion of our program, which usual listeners to the show will know that that's where we get to ask you kind of random questions. We're going to talk about books here to start off 2021, which you've been reading lately. We've also got a good question from Harold. Harold's still working and has questions about Social Security and how all that works when you're still working. All that and more straight ahead. But we're going to have a little fun to start the year, John, and talk about what drives you as a financial advisor and your fancy schmancy now RMA designation as a <laughs> retirement management advisor. What drives somebody like you crazy? Uh, we're going to look at your pet peeves, the things that drive you wild, because, hey, we have to admit, no industry is without its flaws. And the financial industry certainly has a lot of moving parts, a lot of people involved uh, throughout the entire industry in this country. And you know, we know when money gets involved, we get all sorts of interesting and, and crazy stories happening. So I'm curious to find out and explore a little bit where sometimes you've encountered maybe annoying or frustrating elements of the financial world. And this will just be sort of your chance to just say, like, I hate that we are like this in the financial industry or that there are so many people that, you know, maybe fall victim to X, Y and Z, even if it's not something that you personally are doing. So 
we put our heads together and kind of came up with this list of things that get on John's nerves a little bit. And we're going to give you the chance to vent here at the beginning of the year, John. This should be fun. All right. Uh, first thing you put on the list was hidden fees. Why is this such a big pet peeve of yours? You know, I believe in whole transparency. Your clients should choose to work with you, the advisor, because you have a good relationship, you're knowledgeable, and that they can trust that you're looking out for their best interest. And a huge part of that trust comes from transparency. And I think you'll agree with me, Walter, that the client has the right to know and should know how much they are paying for your services and investments, right? I mean, do you ever go to a restaurant and you see the menu? And I, I mean, I, I I do this, so I, I would like to think a lot of people do it. And and you're you're going down the menu and be like, oh man, I really want that tomahawk steak. Whoa, not for one hundred fifty dollars. I don't, right? But what always makes me nervous when I'm in a restaurant is when I see that you know extravagant steak or a lobster or king crab, and it has that phrase market price. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Like, do I go to the waiter and say, yeah, I came to this expensive restaurant knowing I'm going to spend a lot of money, but can you tell me what the market price is? Like, or do you just sit there and go, okay, how much is this, how much is this going to set me back and let the bill surprise me at the end, right? <laughs> my, um, my, my answer to that is put pride aside and say, how much is this fish? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. And, and I just, I, and like, I, I went to, you know, we went to a real nice restaurant. We were, and the waiter was awesome. I said, let me ask you a question. Why not just put the price down? I mean, you guys are saying you're charging $145 for a tomahawk steak. Like, is this going to really shock my conscience? You know, but you're putting market price down. Come on, just hook us up. Let's not play the, let's, let's not have to do the extra step. But, you know, so I kind of like to use that analogy. It's like, you know, wouldn't you just like to know what you're paying for? And, as a consumer, do you see the value in it, right? And, you know, that's, to me, like, I always tell my clients, listen, I never want to waste your time. Even if people I don't end up working with, I want them to bring, to have value in our meeting together. But for my clients, I want them to know that the money they're paying, the good money they're paying, they are getting value. And they, are no, they know that I am doing everything to be the best advisor I can be. So, you know, over the, over the years, you know, and I've got a lot of real smart clients who came to me from other advisors and their old advisors had them in such complex investments that these very intelligent people in not just in their old careers, but in their, their, they were investment savvy. They truly didn't have an understanding of the high fees they were paying. And, you know, we've talked about in the past, you know, vehicles such as variable annuities, um, you know, high cost exotic REITs, or even the high expense ratios that, you know, might be inside mutual funds. A lot of these costs are not seen on the monthly and quarterly reports by the clients. You know, expense ratios in funds, those ratios, those costs are taken out before the returns are even dis distributed to the client or or the custodian who's doing the client report. So, you know, that that really gets me and another thing that I had, you know, a couple of years ago, a prospect came in, she was working with a big name name brand firm, 
And I kind of noticed that her statement was broken up into two separate areas. And, you know, one of them was uh, an advisory and the other one was just like, I guess, a, a regular brokerage. They were both retirement accounts. So they weren't, it wasn't like a individual brokerage account and an IRA. They were both IRA accounts. And I said, hey, this is a kind of a red flag. Ask your advisor how much you're paying them. Because I think you're paying commissions for half and you're paying fees for the other. And when she went back to her advisor and she had asked him, the advisor says, you know, I, I, I can't really give you an accurate number. And I'm like, what? I go, you know, I'm not a huge firm, but I can pull up the exact amount my clients paid me. I can give it to them right in a dollar amount. So, you know, she kind of saw right there, you know, that was, what do you mean you can't tell me how much I'm paying? But no, don't worry about it. You know, you made a lot of money last year. Well, yeah, I could have made a lot more if you guys probably weren't charging me as much as you were. You know, all in all, I think that the clients have the right to know what they're paying because those fees ultimately eat away at the bottom line. So I think that's important to know. I think all that is uh, really important to know, John. You know, you got me thinking with your steak analogy. I started thinking of uh, even simpler, the the hidden fees. The very first time I ever ate at a uh, fancy steak restaurant was uh, off of a gift card. And we were so excited. We went with um, another couple who had also gotten uh, a a large gift card to this steakhouse. And we were like, we're going to go all out. This is the first meal where we had ever like truly gone out. Right. (laughs) And, um, you know, as as poor, you know, slightly post-college students, it was this was going to be a fun time. So we all got there and we ended up, you know, ordering all the steaks and everything. And we were so excited. And we were like, we got just enough money to get all these steaks and maybe a drink or two, whatever the case may be. And then we found out that no sides came. This wasn't like going to Applebee's or Chili's where every entree automatically is going to come with two or three sides or whatever the case may be. So they were like, no, no, you got to order each side. And then each side was, you know, $25, $30. So yeah. All of a sudden, we uh, we way maxed out everything on that gift card when we added a few sides in there. We all ended up still paying despite the gift cards. We had to pay above and over that, plus, of course, the tip. It still ended up being the most expensive meal that we'd all eaten before. So we were like, "Boy, that was like a hidden fee." <laughs> yeah, it, it, it kind of reminds me. It's you know, kind of like an old school sitcom. My, you know, my aunt came into town from Cleveland, and I say, hey, "Come on, you know, I'm going to take uh, took my aunt, my stepdad, my mom, my aunt all out for dinner, and we're at a real nice restaurant." And uh, and she, she asked the waiter, because you, know, you know, my my mom, and my aunt, they're they're just simple old school, right? And so she asked the waiter, you know, is this, does this steak, does it come with a baked potato or rice or anything? He's like, no, it just, you just get a steak. You have to order a side. Oh my, uh, as soon as the waiter, what, what kind of place doesn't give you a potato <laughs> with your steak? And I'm just like, don't worry about it. You want, you want, you know, whatever you just, that's besides the point. And then one time she was, uh, uh, Bree and I had brought a bottle of wine. We are going out to Trulux for for an anniversary, and she says, you, "You, they let you take your own alcohol in. That's that's nice." And I said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, they charge you a cork fee." She's like, "What do you mean?" I said, "They'll probably charge us twenty or thirty dollars just to open the bottle." I'm like, "Listen, it's better than paying a hundred dollars, so I'll take it." She goes, "That's." I'm like, "She goes, I don't know what you guys do." I, she goes, "And you're a financial advisor." I'm like, 
Okay, enough. <laughs> <laughs> I like that she rags on you about like, is this savvy spending? You know, yeah, like that's, yeah. That's awesome. That uh, she's like, I don't know. You need to think about this. You're an advisor. Would you Would you tell your clients to do this or not? I love that. Uh, I love that approach. That's fantastic. Well, hidden fees obviously strikes a chord with you, John, and I think for good reason. Transparency, something I know that you think is very important when it comes to working with folks. Uh, Let's move on to another item that drives you crazy. We're talking about what drives financial advisors crazy. And another one on John's list is advisors who put their own goals ahead of their clients. That's not supposed to happen, but I'm guessing it does. Yeah. And this one, I mean, this one doesn't get under my skin. This one this one just kind of really pisses me off. You know, you have people out there that have worked their whole lives to have this nest egg. And, you know, they weren't financial people. They they might have been first responders, school teachers, engineers, you know, they had their own profession that they focused on. And they're turning over the reins to you and saying, Hey, listen, you know, Mr. Advisor, I I need your help. You know, and this is these are our goals, and we just want to live a simple life. And you know, it it irritates me when I read stories or hear stories about advisors who are just putting themselves or the firm, because I, I've see, I've heard more examples of the firm, not you know the the broker themselves wasn't a bad guy, and they wanted to do right, but they worked for somebody, right? So they had to toe the company line, and the clients goals and interests were secondary and that just that's not right and and I, you know I believe in karma because you know the clients choose to work with their advisor because they trust that they're, you're looking out for their best interests and unfortunately a lot of people that I that I talk to and I've taught over the years one of the first things we talk about because they don't understand the difference is the difference between the fiduciary and suitability standards and the security license that I chose to acquire makes me an investment advisor representative, which means that I have a fiduciary, a legal fiduciary duty to my clients, and that I have to put their best interests in front of mine, period. And what they don't understand is that some some brokers who have investment, you know, securities license like or insurance agents, they're held to a lesser standard known as suitability. And that means they just have to do it suitable, not necessarily in the best interests of their client. And I think that is one area of the financial arena that needs to be changed. I think everybody should have to look out for their client's best interest. And you should have to disclose uh, financial conflicts. And you know what? If you're doing right, and you're telling your client, listen, I'm going to get a commission for you know this life insurance or this annuity, and I'm this is how I'm going to make money, or or this is how you're paying me, and this is why we're doing it. I think you know the clients appreciate that, and I've had those talks with the clients, and you're being upfront and honest with them, and they know. And I think that that's one thing that I've really, really focused on with my clients is always telling them what we're going to do, but more importantly, why we're going to do it. And we've talked about this over a bunch of episodes, the trade-offs, the pros and cons. Because even when you have great strategies, 
something's still that you're going to have to trade off something to get that strategy, you know, kind of like a Roth conversion, right? You're going to pay the tax now, but you're not going to pay it later. So yeah, I really, really, that, that irritates me. And you know, it's a double-edged sword, you know, sometimes it makes me real easy to acquire clients from those firms, but then also it also can make my job harder because I'm getting lumped in with those types of advisors when it's quite the contrary. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, it makes it harder and easier at the same time, just in different ways. But uh, I can see why that one is on your list, no doubt about it. Now, I uh, through our off-air conversations, folks, I've actually, we, we joked about how John has gotten feedback before on how in-depth his financial plans are, how comprehensive they are, and that people have actually remarked sometimes, whoa, okay, <laughs> other advisors don't go to this level of detail. So I know, I wasn't surprised to see on your list that a non-customized, one-size-fits-all, cookie-cutter kind of plan or sales pitch that some advisors do would be on your uh, your naughty list, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So I I appreciate that, Walter. And yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes I do drive some of my uh, some of my associate planners or or my software guys that I got to call when I'm doing cases. I drive them <laughs> a little nuts because I get over analytical. You're just raising uh, the bar for everybody else. That's okay. <laughs> but yeah, the cookie cutter plan. Well, I think this is a pretty commonplace thing. Again, it happens in my experience with the bigger firms because they have hundreds, if not thousands, of clients, and you know you can only have you only an advisor only has so much time of the day, and so I see you know a lot of these bigger firms that you know the clients are a number, they're not that attachment, and the advisors just simply following the company model, and here you go, just you know print them out you know, their plan and and send them on their way and we'll see them in a year. The problem with that is not one of my clients, and I don't have a huge client base, Walter, right? Um, I'm very, very niche and I expect to have a a very, very high level of service that I don't want to bring on, but a couple clients a month and be able to have controlled growth. So none of my clients are identical. So their plans shouldn't be identical. And I've said before, investments and income taxes and estate planning and healthcare, they all intertwine to make one holistic plan. And when you have all those different variables, it's it's like a DNA strand, right? You're not going to get all of those things to exactly line up, not even with your siblings or best friends. So everyone's different. You know, another thing that kind of on the cookie cutter that I hear a lot about that just drives me nuts are rules of thumb. And I see a lot of people that are either do-it-yourselfers or they're working with financial professionals that are basing their retirements off of rules of thumb, like the rule of 100, which is you know, 100 minus your age, and that's how much of your money should be at risk. Or the 4% rule, right? You just take out 4% of what you saved you know, for retirement, and that's you know, what you can live off of. And that's not valid. It's, it's a very generalization of what are very, very client-specific and important features to a plan. So, you know, you should be replacing those rules of thumb like, you know, the rule of 100 should actually be replaced with risk capacity, which is, you know, the amount of money that you can afford to and what you can tolerate to have at risk. It has nothing to do with your age. 
It has to do with your financials and your consumption and your asset levels. And the 4% rule should be replaced with a fundedness percentage. Whether you're, you fall into the categories of being overfunded or underfunded or constrained, which is in the middle. And, um, you know, I learned a lot of those fancy verbiages in that RMA course, but it really just drilled down on those nuances that, you know, you sit here and go, listen, the 4% rule, it's, you're either fit in one of these three categories. And if you're in one of those categories, here's here's pretty much your course of actions uh, versus just telling someone, oh, yeah, you have a million dollars, you can take out $40,000, especially if, if, if you haven't done anything to protect your income stream that you need to pay your bills with. So, you know, and then the other thing I, I see a lot is with these cookie cutter plans, in my experience, the clients are always paying very low fees, you know, or so they think half a percent to 1%. And, you know, my response to those clients is, listen, you know, if if you want to save money and pay that half a percent to 1%, then you have to kind of expect to get that cookie cutter plan and be a number because that is what definitely may be offered, right? You, you get what you pay for. It's a great point. I'd uh, enjoyed the word fundedness. That was a good one. That was the the, the highlight word for me during that yeah. last few months. Oh, we're going to yeah. talk fundedness all year long. <laughs> fundedness. I spent the better half. Is that really I, a thing? You didn't make that up? Is that no, really a word? No, no. That's, that's a, it's a term in the, the RMA accreditation that I spent, you know, the better half of a fundedness. year studying. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Your level good. of funding, I guess. Okay. I mean, yeah, it makes, uh, I guess I make, it makes sense. It just sounds, it sounds fun, if you yeah. will, like a fun word, fundedness. All right. Very good. Uh, so that's good. Cookie cutter, one size fits all plans. We don't like those. Uh, what about, you mentioned, you kind of hinted at this one earlier, but let's give it its due time. Something else that really gets on your nerves would be big companies who push products. Is this kind of like the idea if I go to a Ford dealer, they're going to sell me a Ford, not tell me, oh, the Chevy is actually really a better fit for you. Yeah, I think those guys will always try to sell you the Ford before they go to their used car lot and try right. to sell you something that they picked up. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it really is. And, and I think this really plays into the first three topics that we talked about. And this is a huge reason why I really focus and, and just really love and I'm passionate about retirement planning as a whole. People ask you, well, what do you think of, of this or that? You know, is, is this good or bad? Everything has its pros and cons. It's whether it's appropriate or inappropriate for your situation. And I tell them that products are just vehicles that should fit into the plan that you've designed, that you've collaborated with your advisor on, that you're under, you understand it, you're comfortable with the plan, you absolutely love the plan, and it's a plan that's going to give you peace of mind. Well, then how do the products fit into that plan? That's when you talk product. And, you know, that kind of leads me to the next point is, you know, remember, folks, nothing is free. If you're going through a whole process with a financial professional that's complimentary and their goal is going to try to get you to either invest with them, you know, buying their investments or their life insurance or their annuities, because how else are they going to get paid? And Walter, I'm not knocking these other advisors. I came from that world. I did that for you know, up until just a couple years ago, or or really late 2019, before I started charging a planning fee. 
And, you know, I, I would literally spend three or four 90-minute meetings with people. And, you know, nothing is free. It, it was, you know, I had to try to get these people to become a client or how else was I going to feed my family? And, you know, it wasn't until I aligned myself with some of these planning foundations and said, listen, you are rightly, rightly being paid for your time to design a plan. The client is paying for a service. And with that whole collaboration that you're getting paid for your time, the client's paying for your service, whether they become a client or not, you are able to give them unbiased advice. And even if you're doing what's in the best interest of your clients, if you're not charging them to design that plan, then there's always a little bit about you that's going to want to nudge them and have that biasness. So that's what we do is we always, you know, we, we charge a planning fee up front based on the amount, the complexity and the amount of the planning. And at the end of the day, if we feel we're a good fit, if I like them as a client and they like me as an advisor, then we'll work together. And the great thing is you don't have to do it without a sales pitch and you don't have to push product. You designed them a plan. And, and if you're not a good fit, you still got paid for your time. They didn't get products pushed on them they're going to go home with a written financial plan that they can choose to implement on their own. I really like that a lot. And it makes a lot of sense as to why there might be some conflicts of interest when it comes to working with the larger firms like that. And you got to understand that and have eyes wide open through all those situations. All right, John, one thing I think you do a great job of in our shows is breaking things down. So you don't just give me the, uh, you know, the three sentence answer on anything. You break down what buzzwords and jargon and things like that mean. Fundedness, you help explain what that means You know when you throw something like that out. But a lot of advisors will throw out buzzwords and jargon that don't mean anything to the average person. And sometimes I feel like it's on purpose. They almost want to just make you say, oh, wow, they're a lot smarter than me, and leave it at that. That's kind of the impression that I get sometimes from why people do that. You've included that in your list of things that get on your nerves about the industry. Why is that so? Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point. You know, maybe sometimes it is an advisor trying to show off how smart they are. And I, I personally think, you know, a good way to show off how smart you are or how skilled you are at your profession, your craft, is when you explain a plan in a simple term and they're like, wow, I never even thought about that. I never considered this, this, and this, you just proved your worth. If you could tell a person, hey, these are some exposures or these are your concerns, here's a, here's a better way to do it. That's where you get, and, and when they understand it, boom, that's really where the magic happens. But I'll be honest with you, Walter, I'll throw myself down again, because as advisors, you do get used to using the phrases you've been trained in, right? Uh, like I said, I, I, I read and discussed and listened to lectures about fundedness ratios for the better half of the, all of 2020. Um, so we get used to using phrases like stochastic and alpha and beta. And you know, you may be sitting there talking with a client and you're like, oh yeah, the alpha on this or the beta. And they're just probably going through their mind going, man, remember there used to be a grocery store named alpha beta, but you've got me <laughs> lost. They just start um, going through the Greek alphabet again, alpha, yeah. beta, gamma, delta, yeah, gamma, epsilon. yeah. <laughs> so you know, I've really tried to make that a big part of my practice. 
in in preparing financial plans with that narrative that it's just not a bunch of graphs and and you know just giving them a narrative that explains why we're doing it in a way that they can understand it. As a matter of fact, I I, I did a tax webinar uh, last month, and one of the one of the comments that was made to me in one of the follow up appointments that I had by one of the attendees was that you know I was explaining my process. And our planning process, and and they said, you know, I paid thousands of dollars for one of those financial plans, and it's just a glorified paperweight that really they didn't comprehend anything. It's just a bunch of graphs and charts that you know they had no use for. It brought them zero value, right? And now you know they were they were kind of questioning, and I said, you know, listen, I will show you. I have a sample report, and, and I'll show you you know, how I'm probably a little bit different. And, you know, Walter, that doesn't come without my own growing pains. And I'll throw myself down because I've used the top softwares, you know, out there. And I think as advisors, we just kind of depend sometimes a little bit too much on those. And we're like, oh, great. We've got this, you know, 75 page financial plan. And, you know, we're kind of substantiating the value of that plan that we charged them because, you know, this was a lot of work. It's 75 pages and you're getting 75 pages. And I've, I've even asked clients because one thing I always do at my reviews is I ask them, listen, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? How am I doing? And, you know, when I was looking at some other softwares at the one time, I, I had gone out to a couple of my clients to say, hey, what do you think? Honestly, please be honest. What do you think about that financial plan? Did you get any value? You know, did you read it? And every one of my clients said no. We understand what you're doing, but that we looked at it and it was just too too over our heads. So you know that was kind of where it evolved into me writing those detailed reports because this way my clients, you know, I have a, a table of contents, and if they want to learn, hey, why are we doing this tax management? Oh, it's page seventeen. This is what we're doing and why we're doing it. And, you know, I encourage them to do it. And, and you know, one of uh, a, a software designer that I've been working with, one thing she loved was the fact that on future planning that I'm starting to roll out in, in some of my newer plans is I have it bullet pointed out by year. And we can go through and strike through what we've accomplished. And, you know, my the, the clients I've done this with, you know, over the last, year, you know, and kind of implementing some of the RMA stuff that I've been learning, they love it. And, you know, even this this software designer and, and creative person that's helping me, you know, design a newer, better plan, she's like, that's, it's awesome because I'm, I'm looking at this on one page and I'm feeling good about checking off that list. So, yeah, so that's, uh, you know, we want to get, get, get rid of the jargon and we just want to make it simple, simple. I like simple and uh, it's okay. I think jargon and buzzwords are great. I love learning new things. I want to be educated if it's going to be important to the discussion in in our plan. It's just the buzzword and jargon use without explanation. Uh, the, the ones that just get kind of left hanging out there. That certainly leads us scratching our heads sometimes. And this last one, John, yeah, kind of covered it a little bit already, but financial plans that are dozens and dozens of pages that nobody can understand whatsoever. That's that was your sixth item on the uh, you know pet peeves list, if you will. Yeah, I guess I jumped the gun on the show notes there, Walter. Um, see the last answer. We'll forgive it. 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and the one thing that I would add is because of the dozen pages that no one can understand, my new plan still may be, you know, depending on how complex your situation is, anywhere from 25 to 40 pages of, of Microsoft Word typed document. So even with that, I'm trying to drill down and, uh, you know, I'm looking into designing just like a short one or two page executive summary. You know, this way, even for my clients who don't want to flip through that whole thing, they, they're always going to have it as a resource. But if they just want to cut to the chase, get that real short Cliff Notes version, boom, they're going to have the one to two page executive summary. That's just going to be a short synopsis of the general general plan from a 30,000 foot view. Um, you know, and that's something that even I'm, I'm looking to improve upon my reporting for clients. Well, I'm glad that you have been uh, able to take the time to kind of detail these things out for us, John. So much valuable and important information here because these are all things that frustrate you in the financial landscape, in the industry. And these things are happening on a daily basis. Unfortunately, there's uh, not saying one advisor is committing all of these sins, if you will. But there are different firms and different advisors who at least you run a pretty good chance. We've only laid out six things that kind of bug you about the industry. You know, there's a chance that one of these things could be amiss with a uh, potential advisor somebody's looking to work with. So, you know, I think these are all good things to bring to light and to discuss and to talk about a little bit on today's show. Uh, if you'd like to talk about some of these things with John directly, one-on-one, -on -one, you can certainly do that. Give a call to 858 935 6210. Um, as you know, you've kind of heard John's philosophy on investing in financial planning and retirement uh, advising and what should go into that relationship. And if that's something that sounds attractive to you and you haven't taken those steps before, reach out. Again, 858-935-6210. And you can also go online to gosecurus.com. That's gosecurus.com. And we'll put contact info in the description of today's show. <music> It's getting to know you time. Well, John, time to have a little bit of fun on our getting to know you segment. And my question for you on this episode, what's the last book that you read or one that you're currently reading, whichever one you kind of want to highlight? Well, this is going to sound like a lot of fun, Walter. Actually, the last book that I <laughs> I read aside from the RMA planning manual. That's right. Yeah, um, you don't want to throw that one into the mix. Yeah, but I'm going to get even more excited. It's, it's, it's actually Safety First Retirement Planning by Wade Fowl. So calm your calm your excitement. <laughs> but it's actually a really good book, and Wade is one of the most well-respected industry leaders, especially when it comes to income planning. So you know he talks all sorts of different ideas. So good book. Wade Fow. And uh, again, the name of the book was Safety First Retirement Planning. That doesn't sound like one that a whole bunch of our listeners are going to go out and read tomorrow. No, that's why they pay me. <laughs> Exactly. Um, that's funny. Uh, all right. Well, let me see if I can. I, do you remember the movie Contact? Yeah, I, I remember seeing like the previews, but I never saw it. Oh, you never saw Contact? It was a good movie. I think you'd like it. Um, I know you're not, you're not a big Hollywood guy, are you? But uh, but but I think you'd like the movie. It was pretty good. Um, and the book is really good. I'm, I'm about 80% uh, through the book, I'd say. And so I'd, I'd recommend it. It's a really good read. been very interesting. So... Yeah, you know, and everyone always says the book is better than the movies, but I'm just kind of like a. I, I've never been into like fictional books. I'll, I'll read like nonfiction books, you know, on on history. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I've read a lot of uh, Bill O'Reilly's old Killing uh, series. 
um, really good like historical points there, you know, Lincoln, Kennedy, all them. I'll read stuff like that, but I've always kind of been like, you know, oh, Contact, that's based on a book. I'll just go watch the movie. Yeah. Uh, I think that the um, the book and the movie are so different, at least to this point. There's quite a few differences in them. So to me, they feel like different things. And it's like far separated, at least in my experience, because the book was written in the 80s, I think. And I'm just now reading it. So right. <laughs> it's a little bit different experience. But anyway, that's the one. That's one I've been currently reading. Nice. Um, is that one. So I, I recommend it if nobody's picked it up before. It's worth checking out. Long book. So get ready for a big read, though. Um, I'm just listening to it audiobook. I count. I still count that as reading. Um, otherwise, I would never do any reading because I fall asleep two pages in if I try to read with my actual eyeballs. <laughs> That's getting to know John Amarino a little bit better. But now it's our turn to get to know you with another great mailbag question. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. And our question this week comes to us from Harold in Temecula. Here's what Harold says. John, I'm still working and plan to work for at least another two years, but I'm now old enough to start taking my Social Security without being limited on how much income I can earn. Is this a recommended strategy? And the short answer is no. Um, and just last month, I had actually the same webinar as my the previous uh, person I had talked about with the plan. Uh, nice woman. Uh, she was collecting her social security early at 62 and she was still working full time and she had no idea that she was going to end up giving half of her social security benefits back because of the earned income credits. And, you know, I always tell people, listen, social security, that full retirement age is like when social security is like, okay, you know, unless you retire early, this should really be a retirement age. And they, they discourage people from really working and collecting before full retirement age. That's why they reduce your benefit, you know, in my opinion, and why they definitely hit you with the earned income credit. So in her case, she took a 25% reduction in lifetime benefits because she claimed at 62. And she's going to end up forfeiting half of her reduced benefit that she's now receiving till she turns full retirement age. Now, the one misconception is she'll actually get that money that she's forfeiting back right now, but it's going to be amortized over several years. So, I mean, you know, and on top of that, she's taking that reduced benefit. So, and she's taxing the heck out of her Social Security, too. So, my general advice is under full, if you're under full retirement age, don't work and collect Social Security. Let that steady income stream grow for later years and you know, another side point, because this was part of the advice that she had received, don't take out Social Security just so you can invest the money. You're replacing an, a predictable income stream you're going to need in retirement with a hope and prayer that that money is going to grow to a certain level to replace that income stream. And I think uh, Tom Hegna, the, the great retirement mind, you know, said that Social Security is expensive money because it creates an income stream. And you need a lot of assets to create an income stream. So again, kind of piggybacking off my RMA, retirement is about knowing your outcomes, not hoping to meet you know investment expectations. Yeah, Social Security, talk about it. Go look at an, uh, an old paycheck or a current one if you're still working. You're paying into that thing. <laughs> That's a significant amount of dollars coming out of your paycheck for that. So, um, yeah, it's really poignant to uh, bring up some of those points, John, and to think about that. 
Uh, very cool. If Again, if you have questions, great question, Harold. Thank you for sending that one in to us. If you want to talk a little bit further about your situation or if you're listening to today's show and you want to get into more detail about your financial life and retirement and talk about getting that customized plan with retirement management advisor John Amarino, you can do that by calling 858-935-6210. That's 858-935-6210. And you can find them online at gosecurus.com. And we'll put links in the description of today's show so you can find all that contact info very easily. John, thanks for the help, and uh, glad we're off to a good start here in 2021. Looking forward to the next couple of episodes with you as we get this new year off to a good start. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a good year, hopefully. I think it will be. Stay positive, my friend. That's we're, right. We're turning we're turning things around. I think it's going to be good. Um, lot, lots. We can only go up from here, really, right? So... <laughs> At least we hope so. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time. I'm Walter Storholt alongside San Diego's premier holistic retirement advisor, John Amarino. We'll talk to you soon right back here on the Retire Happy Podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Securus Financial are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents. The opinions expressed by John Amarino and guests on this radio show are their own and are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Any strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered.